0: this week on The Startup Life.
1: And so the principle is those companies that encourage and allow people to return have a strategic advantage over those who don't. Because the things that you do to create a company that people return to are the things that create a sustainable business.
0: All right, Startup Nation. So let's take flight with Lee Carraher, founder and CEO of Double Forte, The Startup Life Begins now.
1: 7654321. You'll never have
0: the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Hey, Startup Nation, do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the labor yourself, make your own luck, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We have a special guest in the building today. We have Lee Karaher from Double Forte. How's it going, Lee?
1: Dominic, it's awesome. I'm so happy to be with you today.
0: Awesome. Are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? I'm going to do my best. Awesome. As always, Startup Nation, the startup life is brought to you by the Binge Podcast Network. So Lee, if you would, please, ma'am, tell us about your story or your path to entrepreneurship and tell us a little bit about Double Forte.
1: Sure. So Double Forte, which is a public relations and social media firm. I founded this company 16 years ago, Um, and I'm not sure I ever thought it would make it 16 years, but here we are. Awesome. And actually, I created the company out of a need. I didn't think I was going to start my own firm. Um, This was in 2002. I had quit my job at my last company. It was a big PR firm after 9/11 because 9/11 sort of that for me that moment was like I don't like what I'm doing. I am uh, why am I doing this? Because I'd actually been on the same flight from New York to San Francisco one week earlier than 9/11. And um, wow. Yeah, so I exercised my contract, I made a graceful, well, as graceful as I could exit, and I thought I was gonna stay out of, you know, just take a year off. I had two young kids, I've been working well, you know, since Brett, waiting for college, and of course the, um, well, I got in my own way on that one because I drove my husband crazy, and he basically said, honey, if we don't go back to work, man, it is not going to work for us. <laughs> gotcha. <you. laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of glue guns. I had things going on. I had, I was basically the tyrant of the laundry. It was not good. So I thought I was going to take another job. I was way down the line on two offers when after about four months, so into 2002, when um, my mom got sick and my mom lived in Oh no Jackson. I live in California. Right. And she- she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and given four months to live.
0: Oh my goodness! Um,
1: and I knew I couldn't take a job in California because I was going to be with my mom, and there was no way I was either going to get fired or have to quit from a job right. I for sure. So you don't get that time back, right? So the Absolutely. beautiful thing That's was right. that my mom actually lived almost four years, which is a huge gift. Um, but it was very clear at that moment. I was like, "Oh my gosh, here I this is the here is a crossroads in my life. I'm the breadwinner in our house. My husband's the chief." Home officer. I'm the right. cheese bacon officer. For sure. And For sure. I got to bring it home, right? Baby needs mm-hmm. some shoes, and I'm gonna have to start my own company because I need to be where my family needs me to be from this moment forward. And I had really, I had thought about it as my nuclear family, you know, as the breadwinner. I hadn't thought about it as my extended family. For sure. So. For sure. Um, basically i was like okay well i better start my own company that i can control where i am because i need to be where i need to be and have and don't have to apologize for it and i had started a company for uh, my lat the Public, which is where I was before Double Forte, I had started two practices for them and a company for them. So I, I knew the steps to take, but it, this was my own money, right? It was like, ah! Absolutely right. <laughs> so, but it was just very clear. Here was the moment in time, I'm gonna have to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because this is the right thing for my family. And that's really what led me to starting my own company uh, with my own resources, uh, which was basically a quarter and two dimes. But, um, (laughs) yeah, maybe you can relate. So sure, um, for sure. And then from there, uh, you know, my mom lived for four years. And so I spent half, I had a co-founder who Mm -hmm. I'd worked with before. Um, We had worked many years uh, in previous two jobs for both of us uh, before. And I spent half the year in Wisconsin and half the year in San Francisco for the first four years of this company. Then actually my co-founder after, you know, it was very clear my mom was, you know, going to, you know, if it wasn't going to last another deathbed situation. Mm-hmm. My co-founder, you know, had his own path and he decided he wanted to do something very different. So I bought him out um, actually a month before my mom died mm. and my mom, um, and then I was the sole owner. I've been the sole owner ever since.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, sorry no. to hear about your mom.
1: No. Well, you yeah. know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, I think some of us do it because I always wanted to be my own boss. For sure. And some of us do it because I, I know I can make my own opportunity. And mm-hmm. some of us do it because this is the best option for us as people. people. Right. Right. And, um now i don't know if i could i'm probably unemployable because i i've been my own boss for 16 years oh, so who knows?
0: <laughs> i know that feeling i know that feeling all too well i know exactly what you mean oh Steve, a good follow-up question because you talked sure. about you know uh, your, your husband and your two kids yeah and, and, you know what's that dynamic like because we have a lot of uh women uh entrepreneurs in startup nation to where that dynamic is the same to where they're the breadwinner they're the the entrepreneur and the, you know and the uh husband stays home and they have two kids. Tell us about that dynamic of being an entrepreneur, mom, husband, stuff like
1: that. Yeah, so my husband um, actually worked half time until just the last year and a half. Okay. uh, When my first son was born, we thought he would go back to work. You know, we had this conversation when I was pregnant, you know, we want to be involved. I made more money than he was a chef. At the time okay um and when and i was like well one of us has to change our schedules because we're not seeing each other because a chef sort of works from 2 p.m to 2 a.m and i was working sure. 6 a.m to 7 p.m so he actually went in uh, before um i gave birth to my first child he changed his job and he went into produce sales for inside sales for chefs okay and then um, we had our first child, and he was like, "You know what? One of I I need to be more involved. Uh, one of us needs to be more involved with our kid. Uh, it better be me, Lee, because you make more money than I do." <laughs> gotcha. I was like, "Okay," um, and he worked half time, and then we had a second child. Who ended up actually? My second child actually has special needs. Okay. Um, and he's now 18, but he'll never be independent. And so I was very fortunate. I was so fortunate that I had a husband who wanted to stay home, right. who wanted to be the chief home officer, who would take responsibility for all the things that, uh, you know, the ch- the primary child, you know, get kids here, get kids there, kind for of. For sure. Thing for sure. I was so fortunate for that, and that's what basically we divided and conquered that way it has not always been simple because i have a definite point of view about how things should be done in my own house absolutely and i have to give that up i have to give a lot of it up um i don't give up the laundry because i really care about how things are folded but I gave up everything else. Gotcha. <laughs> but I'm so fortunate. My husband makes dinner. He does all the shopping. He makes, he handles all the house. I mean, he does everything in the house. And for sure. basically, for me, how I, what I had to do, decide what did I care about? What did I care about most? Mm. And I really cared about being involved in. In a way that made sense, and the, so did we both have to go to doctor's appointments only when they were critical. And so, gotcha. for my younger son, we had several critical doctor's appointments because, he, again, he has special needs. And when my young, my older son, he had some critical situations that I was responsible for, you know, because the mom was going to go to the hospital. That was the deal. Gotcha. So I we were basically able to dev- we made very clear roles um and and early on i we both stepped over each other's toes a bit and we just figured it out so how we do it i'll just tell you we have a meeting every sunday and we have for the last uh 20 years okay we have have a meeting every sunday where we bring out the calendars and we go through what's going on uh and for the next two weeks because everything changes you know
0: gotcha for sure
1: and um if something's going on with the kids i like for doctor's appointments that i i learned that i what i needed to do was give him a list of questions because he would go to the doctor's appointment and i know all the ladies in the house are going to be shaking you know nodding their heads at this okay and uh, they'd be like i'd go how hey how was the doctor it was good Uh-oh. that is not enough information. <laughs> for me mom. Gotcha. Like, so what happened well you know he we went in and she said he was fine i'm like oh my god So what I learned was I had to give a set a very clear question. So I gave a set of questions and then I also gave a set of um, treed answers. If this, then that, if this and that. And that was a way that my husband could be empowered to be in charge, but also uh, make sure that my curiosity was uh, satisfied and that I wasn't judgmental on him. So I'll give you a good example So, my older son is very tall. He is 6'6. Oh, wow. He's always been tall. So, when he was five, he had his, you know, five is a big checkup.
0: He Mm -hmm. goes to his
1: five year checkup and he goes, I come back. um, He comes back and at night I go, Oh, how was it? Well, he's off the charts. I'm like, Well, what does that mean, off the charts? Is that good? Is that bad? Is he too heavy? Is he too tall? I mean, are they worried about him being a giant? I mean, what? You know, it's just <laughs> off the chart. Like, that is not an information for me. And he says, I said, okay, so what does off the chart mean, honey? He goes, well, they had to get graph paper and attach it to his chart because he's too tall for the chart. I'm like, okay, oh. now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I need that detail, right? And so women need a lot more detail in general than men. Um, I found that true everywhere I go. Um, So we just figure it out. It's not always easy, um, but the thing for us is having that meeting on Sunday, looking at the calendars, looking at what's scheduled, saying, oh, you know what, I wanna participate that. How can I participate in that? I'm gonna move some meetings around, or I don't need to participate in that. And I talk to my kids, I'm like, I can go to three things this month. What three things are most important to you? Um, And they would tell me what was most important to them. And then I would rearrange if I could. So it's a lot of it's a just it's a lot of communication.
0: Got gotcha. you. Thank you for sharing it. And yeah. as a husband myself, I, I I do the exact same thing. I'm, <laughs> on, I swear, i I'm working on it for sure.
1: Lee, it's hard. It's it hard. Is,
0: it is. It is for sure. Lee, Let me ask you this. Uh, you no, know, who or what inspires you as an entrepreneur, and why?
1: You know, as a business model, who inspires me? Okay. Um, is that what you mean?
0: I I just mean like, you know, just like a person who builds something from nothing and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, I am inspired by, well, Michelle Obama. Okay. (laughs) I'm so inspired by Michelle Obama. Awesome. I am inspired by... I'm not very inspired by many of the entrepreneurs in Silicon San, San Valley, frankly.
0: Wow! Really? Um,
1: well, you know, they a lot of them. There are some who came from nothing, but not they're not very many who came from nothing. Oh, you know? okay. Um, and they all, you know, really hard to build a business. Really hard to build a successful business. Not easy to be Steve Jobs. Lose For your sure. company, come back, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. But you know, I am inspired by people who keep it together and are authentic and keep them so, keep true to themselves. So I'm probably more inspired by more small companies than I am by large companies. Um, yeah. But I would say some companies that inspire me are Cliff Bar inspires me. We worked at sure. Cliff Bar for about 10 years and Gary and Kit inspire me. I'm inspired by Tarani. The Syrup Company, because it's a family-owned company that could have been bought and sold 19 times and they kept true to their roots. Gotcha. I'm inspired by some people that, uh, Navitas, which is, again, a, a organic superfoods company that, again, has been, you know, 15 years old on the ropes For and sure. always made it through. So I'm inspired by those stories where people um, didn't give up or didn't sell out. <laughs> I hear
0: that. I hear that. I definitely You know?
1: Because I think if you are uh, if you are a successful company um, in any stretch of the imagination, so from small making it 15 years and being small to being large uh, mm-hmm. and being you know making it and obviously you you know in the last 15 years if you've made it 15 years you have reinvented yourself five or six times for sure in any, in any industry um, and there's always going to be one, someone who wants to buy you. There's always mm-hmm. going to be someone who say, "Hey, I want a little some of that special sauce." Right. Um, and they want, really, they don't want the business. They want the people. That's how I know we got something going on when people want to buy us. But the I'm never um, inspired by what the result would be by that. So
0: <laughs> you. Well, you look, know? No, for sure. But let me ask you a quick follow-up real quick. My mind yeah. is blown about that Silicon Valley thing because, like, you know, for people, you no, know, I'm here in Memphis, Tennessee, and for those right. of us who don't live in Silicon Valley, that's a very interesting, you know, comment you did right. for sure. But thank you for sharing that. But I, I want to ask you just really quickly, like you know, when you get those offers to buy, you yeah. know, you know, to buy your company, whatever the case may be, where does the resistance come from? You so know, like, okay, okay. Yeah, for it me,
1: where's well, like, oh, well, that's very nice. Well, what would the price be, right? For sure. And for, we're a service company, so there's not a bad margin, right? You're not looking right. at large multiples uh, in a purchase. You're not looking for, you're not looking at uh, a large margin in our business because it's a time-based business, not Mm -hmm. a margin-based business. Right. So really what I'm always interested in is why do you want us? Why would be, because I've had, you know, uh, I've been in this business for a long time. My last company had 650 people. Right. And my company before that had over 700 people. You know, so I've managed much larger organizations than the one I currently own. Right. Um, but like, why are you interested in us? Well, I want you Lee to do this job. Mm. They're not really interested in me growing my business. They're interested in taking our people and deploying them against their entity, which makes a lot of sense. And I'm never really interested in the job they want me to do. That's funny. So, um, you know, I don't only want well, to fly around the country and not be able to do the things I like to do. I'm not really interested in not being involved in the actual business. Uh, I'm not really interested in not being able to say, yeah, I'm going to be at that basketball game. Right. I had that job. I mean, that's the job I left. Um, sure. And I mean, much more money when I was at that company oh my god Um, but when 9-11 happened I realized I was working for some a company that I mean they were so generous to me this company was so generous to me but I was doing things I didn't want to do I was never home I was Mm -hmm. flying around the world I had a huge intergalactic job a lot of money (laughs) but I was really unhappy and for me it's like for me deciding be an entrepreneur to own my own company it's like i have to decide what is success for lee because what success for lee is is going to drive our success uh if it's not success for lee then the business will not thrive because i will not be interested and um there hasn't been an offer on the business that was you know we all have a number a candy pot right but the number the number was never big enough to trade off on the role people wanted me to play, which was always a big role. I mean, it was mm-hmm. very, I mean, I'm honored to have those kind of discussions, right? Right. Because the resulting lifestyle would be one I would not be happy. With. Gotcha. So, I mean, I can be bought. But the numbers never been high enough so i just want to be clear about that you know understood it understood. sounds very altruistic oh it's never good enough oh no i'm sure there's a number gotcha it has not showed up yet
0: fair <laughs> enough fair enough i want to chime in really quickly because lee brings up an interesting point when she talks about the potential sale of her company now when you start your company you're going to fall in probably one or two lanes right you're either the stayer or the exeter let me explain what that means if you're a stayer in the company that means that you just want to be in that company for as long as it takes right you just want to stay and scale that company grow that company through acquisitions and mergers and strategic investments or whatever the case may be if you're the exeter you'll do some of those things but your ultimate goal is to try to exit the company. Now I bring this up because you're going to make certain decisions based on one of those two lanes, right? If you're the stayer, you're look, you're always scouting. What's the next investment? What's the next merger or acquisition or wherever the case may be? If you're the exiter, you're thinking about what's the act, what's the number, what's the valuation that you need to get at? What's the the place you want the company to be there to be the most attractive to investors to kind of buy you out if you will now that is not to say that if you plan on in the beginning to be a stayer then all of a sudden you become an exeter because that happens too but i wanted to bring that up to you startup nation to think about that on your path to entrepreneurship because it, it will really frame the type of decision making that you make in your company let's get back to lee So, Lee, I want to ask you about, you know, the book you wrote a few years ago, right? Millennials and Management, right? Yes. And in that book, you talk about, you know, uh, September 15th, 2008, which seems somewhat like of a turning point for you in the business. Can you share that with us and what happened?
1: Sure. So when I started the company in 2002, we decided Mm -hmm. nobody under 10 years of experience we were going to work with because we were tired of complaining about Gen Xers, frankly. Right. Uh, and in San Francisco, two thousand and two, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting twenty people with ten years of experience who didn't have a job. Fair enough. So it was not hard, right? Mm-hmm. And um, by two thousand and eight, the business had grown to probably eighteen people. who grew from zero, maybe like a two. million. And I was literally at my son's riding lesson on September 13th, which was the Saturday. Um, His godfather gave him riding lessons. I was like, you're in this for your rest of your life. And um, (laughs) I'm like, you know what? I would like to ride. I've been working my butt off. My mom is gone. I've done my thing. I think I'm going to work four days a week. I think I can do that. And I got this great team. Then on the 14th, I figured out how to do that. I'm like, I'm going to, I mean, I was going to work 40 hours, but, or 50, 60 hours as we mm-hmm. all do, but I just was going to make sure Wednesdays I was going to take off and go take riding lessons so I could ride with my kid. Right. And I figured out how I was going to do that. And I show up September 15th, Monday, Monday morning, which was when the economy, you know, almost collapsed in the right. morning. Right. For sure. And I realized by 10 o'clock, I was like, I'll be lucky at five days a week at 1030, six days a week at mm-hmm. 11 eight days a week. Right. Right. And it, I mean, that dream went out the window and my CFO at the time was part-time and he was down in San Jose. I'm like, I, Oscar, get your butt up here. We're going to figure this out. Cause I'd been through it. This was the thir- fourth downturn I'd been through as a business person. Gotcha. Um, so by the end of the day, when, you know, basically We were pulled back from the jaws of death by an inch. Absolutely. By a country, right? Absolutely. Um, I was like, okay, let's look at the situation. The situation is we have four of our startups in New York right now looking for money they are not going to get. We have clients who are, their business was already getting soft in retail and they're going to, you know, contract. We are, you know, we have clients who are a little behind on their payments. We may not get those. We're going to have some clients who couldn't go out of business. Uh, they're not going to be able to pay us. So what's going to happen? So basically, uh, we stripped out every single expense we could find in our budget. Mm. And so that was lunch, that was parking, that was, you know, right. all this stuff. And um, basically, it was, we're going to provide water. That's what we're going to provide. <laughs> and um, I froze all salaries. And I said, okay, guys, here's the deal. We don't know. We what we know is we're probably going to lose these four clients, and we think these three clients are going to retract. And our goal is to keep the three clients that are going to retract. That's our goal. The four gotcha. clients we're going to leave. Don't spend any time because they don't have any money. So don't spend. They're not going to get any money. They don't have any money. Don't worry about them. I mean, right. Be nice. Be cordial. Be professional. But there's no reason to invest in these guys because they're not going to make it. We need to make it so that they, you know, we treat them with professionalism and do our service to them and then wrap them up in a bow because they aren't going to be with us for another 60 days. Gotcha. You, we need to be the easiest agency to work with. We have to be the easiest people, easiest company to work with so that we do great results, but we have to be easy to work with. So stop. We need to stop saying no. Gotcha. because Not that no is not the right answer most of the time. Right. But, but the, if your client calls you and your first answer is, that's not a good idea or no, or no, I don't want to do that. Then uh, all they're hearing is resistance. And now it has now become a buyer's market. And, um. We have to say, we have to get to know through yes. And what that means is tell me more. What are you trying to accomplish? Um, oh, well, how about this idea instead, right? Um, and so that was the first piece. Then, and then that was September 17th, we made that decision, right? Gotcha. Pro salaries, da, 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 da. So then um, actually we ended up winning some clients, losing the four that we thought we were going to lose, all this kind of stuff. And in, in January of 2008, mm-hmm. we did have a small layoff of three people, and then, um, but everything was so- solid with down to 15 people, which was, we were, I thought we were very lucky to get to, just have to uh, get rid of, we really had to lay off one and a half. And I think you should always double what you have to do. Oh, um, sure. Then I looked at the business model and I realized that our business model which was just predicated on hiring people with 10 years of experience was going to be irrelevant very shortly. Right. So 2000 to 2004, almost no one got hired in PR business in San Francisco in the in the NASDAQ. Collapse. And so in San Francisco, in particular, got really killed by the NASDAQ, you know, the we call it, um, collapse. And right. almost no one got hired between 2000 and 2004 in our industry. So there was a big donut hole where we're not going to have anybody for about five years who had 10 years of experience. We're going to have people who had five years experience people had 20 years of experience but really very few with 10 so i said oh gosh and people with 10 years experience cost more than people with one year experience too right mm-hmm. so I was like wow we're gonna run out of the bottom of our eligibility and, you, and my other belief is you should always be bringing people at the bottom of your eligibility for new blood but we're gonna have no new blood right. and no one was gonna move to san francisco in 2009 and no one moved to san francisco in 2000 right So that's, I decided that we should, okay, we're going to change our model and we're going to have to grow our own uh, people and we're going to hire recent graduates and change the model, did all the things, blah, blah, blah. And it took us a while because I, what I should, what I could have done is fire half the people and hire all, you know, 22 year olds, but that's not the way I operate. Um, It would have been much more efficient, um, but that seemed cruel and that's not really how I operate. So it just took us a while. I didn't really think anything of it. I, like I said, I'd had so many hundreds of people in the last two jobs. Most of them, like the vast majority of them, 80%, 75% of them were under 30. I was known for being able to you know, keep young people excited. And I hired my first, what I came to found out was a millennial. And that first day, mm-hmm. I walk in about 10 o'clock. It's a very long answer, Dominic. Sorry. But I no, walk no in at 10 no o'clock worries. and there's a dog in my office. Okay, like, what's this dog doing here? <laughs> and it's not just a dog; it's a dog, and the dog has a big bed, and a water filtration system, and a kibble oh, nice. dispenser. Dog looks I mean, better the dog? than me. Uh, hello. <laughs> so I look around. I'm like, "Who's the dog?" And oh, that's Stephanie's dog. You mean the new girl who started today? Yes. And I probably should have said girl, but you know, that's right. what I said. Right. Right. Really. Well, did we know she was bringing the dog? No. Did she ask if she could bring the dog? No. Is anybody allergic to dogs? I don't know. Well, let's find that out first, you know. Yeah. And uh, I go to my office. I'm sort of perplexed. And then, uh, the person, you know, my person comes in and goes, uh, "Lee, the dog. It's a service dog. We can, actually can't. We're not allowed to ask the dog." Right. I'm like, "It's a chihuahua. What do you mean <laughs> it's a service dog?" <laughs> and I had not seen a chihuahua service dog. It's actually a mental health dog, and it was legit, as legit right. as maybe that could be. Right. And uh, I was like, okay. And I was just sort of flabbergasted that she didn't even ask or tell us, right? Got and you. She shows up at 9 o'clock, first day on the job with her dog bed. Um, and then I come out of my office around 3.30. I'm like, oh, where's Stephanie and the dog? Uh, she's gone. What? Yeah, <laughs> well, she left around 3. I'm like, Wait, <laughs> what? You wow. know, she had to San Diego. I'm like, what? right and she said, won't be here tomorrow either and i'm just like what is what ta- am i being you know videoed is this a TV show? <laughs> I bet that
0: that was different this? for sure
1: right and i'm like did she tell us she had to leave at three o'clock did she ask if she could not be here her second day?" no 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 okay all right so i'm flabbergasted i'm like what just happened so i call some friends who are also in the business, I mean, I said, okay, so this just happened, and this is what I got. Oh my god, Lee, they're millennials, they're terrible. <laughs> Fire her right away. <laughs> they're terrible. Millennials, they're the worst scourge on the planet. You know, some, all this crap. And I'm like, right. okay, what's a millennial, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, and I sort of dismissed that. So, you know, Stephanie gotcha. came back to work on Wednesday. We figured Stephanie out. We're like, okay, Stephanie, you can't just like do stuff. You gotta like ask for permission and get approval. and. We'll work it out. She's fantastic. I mean, this woman is a rock star. Right. Uh, you know, unbelievable. Uh, she was with us for four years. She's had mm. a fantastic, we're still great friends and great, we we uh, give business to each other all the time. Gotcha. Um, however, it was sort of an eye-opening experience, but it took us, a, then we had, we got that sorted. Within two months, Dominic, I had six or seven other dogs in the office with little red vests.
0: <laughs> the floodgates open, huh?
1: Because she ran a little business on the side getting, you know, how do you get your dog to be a service dog? Um, oh. I'm like, okay, well, all right. Yeah, that geni- I guess we need a policy. All right, right then. Yeah, right. And then about uh, eight months and nine months later, we hired six millennials within, you know, six or seven weeks of each other. and mm-hmm. with. Three months they were all gone, oh, and a hundred percent failure uh, in hiring I had never had a hundred percent failure in hiring. I could you know uh, six people at a time, think of it as a class, right and I right thought, Wow, one of them could be a bad hire, but I don't you don't hire six hundred people and have them be bad hires, you know that's true I was like I'm a good hirer. we have good practice we couldn't retain, and one of the people I walked not me, but someone else walked and the other five quit within three months. I'm like, Holy crap. Wow. And, um, I just, I, you know, actually figured this was a moment of clarity where the sun shined through and someone spoke to me and said, it's not them. It's you, Lee. And mm. I was like, it can't be, it can't be them. I don't, I don't hire bad, you know, I right. hire once in a while, but not six at a time. Right. And it's gotta be what we're doing. It's gotta be us. It can't be them. So um that's when I really started researching and everything I found, this is now two thousand eleven ish, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's negative. So negative. Millennials are terrible, millennials are lazy, millennials are entitled, millennials are this, millennials are that, blah 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 blah. Nothing was good. Millennials hated millennials. So uh, there,
0: there, there's some truth to that. Because I, I'm to that. right, because I'm an older millennial, like 82, yeah. and even I'm yeah. like, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
1: there's now there's three sets of millennials. Right. Know, there's a lot of, re- we can talk about that for days. But anyways, mm-hmm. so everything I read was negative. And I hear I had just decided that my business was predicated on hiring young people. And some people were like, I'm not hiring any more millennials ever. I'm like, so then basically you're giving up on your business.
0: Basically, right. Don't
1: you have a millennial in your business? You don't have a future in your business. Close now. Mm. Um, And I decided that, okay, I can't be, I, you know, I could just sell out and go work for somebody else and be miserable or I can figure this out. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I'm not hireable. I should figure this out. So I went to figure it out myself. Did a lot of research, talked to hundreds of people just to figure it out for our company, my little baby company. Um, and and so that was 2011, 2012. The average tenure for a millennial in San Francisco was about 13 months.
0: Okay. And
1: I said, okay, if we can double it, if we could, our average can be 26 months, we win. Because every time you lose somebody, you know, you're walking watching a hundred thousand dollars walk out the door. So 20, let's just shoot for double. Cause I'm a, I like to achieve high. We're going to go for 200%. <laughs> so <All right. laughs> um, that was our goal. In the end, now we are, you know, uh, for people under 30, our average tenure is four and a half years. And I'm really proud of that. I hate when people leave, but I'm really proud that they stay for four and a half, five, six years. And I learned a lot of stuff along the way, right? Things that we were doing, we were just doing, Ways that boomers and Xers understood but that this generation did not and were not inspired by. And uh, what I found was when you do things that inspires and helps the younger colleague uh, thrive, your older colleagues thrive too. So I didn't have a thought of writing a book. And I was Mm -hmm. in a meeting with a publisher about something totally different, actually. Right. Um, And we were... Interrupt. I had hired someone who was about to publish a book, and the publisher wanted to make sure that this woman's um, new company was going to, you know, support the book sorry we got interrupted by somebody a young person who was incredibly rude and um when she left the office this woman the woman i was talking to sort of rolled her eyes and said oh my god these millennials are so terrible (laughs) and here i had just done all this research and figured stuff out and you know increased our our retention rate and all that kind of stuff and i just said hey well well, what's the problem uh you know well and she walked through all the stuff and i gave her suggestions i'm like oh have you tried this am i experienced that maybe you should try this this is what happened us is what we did blah 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 and she said i will publish that book and i said what book are you talking about and she said that book about millennials you just said about i'm like i don't have a book about millennials she goes yes you do and can you get it done in four months so that is how Hmm. i got my first publishing deal okay (laughs) because i uh had gone through the pain of a hundred percent failure and uh, done the work to figure it out
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. All right, Startup Nation, I hope you're getting great value from Lee's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Startup Life reach is growing. Wouldn't you like your business to grow with it? Reach out to us to advertise on the Startup Life. You can reach us at 901. 857 4818, or you can email me at dominic at askowlsolutions.com. I mean, don't get me wrong, like this is a great music to have a break on, but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music but your business being advertised on it? Need more content from the Startup Life, you say? You can now sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. There is exclusive content written by yours truly video content where I share even more of my business philosophies, and whatever crazy content I can think of out of that crazy head of mine. And at only $5 a month, yeah $5 a month, this is more content for you startup nation to really get ahead of your competition. So instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint, you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to sign up. Uh, really quickly. You know, this is, you know, and you mentioned this a lot of time in your talks whatever. This is the first time in American history where we have four mm-hmm. different generations in a work. And now
1: five. Okay,
0: now five. five.
1: with Gen five.
0: Z, yeah. Uh, exactly, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, what does a small business owner need to understand about this unprecedented dynamic in our American
1: world? Yeah, it is. an uh, It's never happened before. Right. Um, and it will continue. It's not going to undo itself, right?
0: Sure. Right.
1: So, um, you know, we've just, we've come through the, you know boomers uh, are car boomers not only because there were so many of us i'm Mm -hmm. the last year of boomer but also because the economy was just doubling and tripling and quadrupling just growing the whole time that boomers were coming and growing in the workforce right so there was always opportunity for us even in downturns We didn't have to wait very long for our opportunity Mm -hmm. um the thing uh, and so people are working longer because one they're living longer but and two they don't have a lot of money people are not people are not prepared to retire Right, And there's a lot of reasons for that. We could talk all day about that. But that's the b- bottom line. Most people don't have $1,000 for an emergency, right. Right? right? That's just the way people mm-hmm. are working into their 90s at McDonald's and stuff. I mean, that's just wow. happening. right? So, um, And then Gen Z is 20. This year, the oldest Gen Z is 23. So that's five generations, Gen Z, millennials, Gen X, boomers, and silence all at the same time. And the mm-hmm. thing is that in a small business, you probably will need all of those. And you'll probably have all of those people apply for jobs. Um, and there's a couple of things on that. One, ageism is alive and well. And it is. anything you can do to get that bias out of your head, you should do. Because gotcha. it will inhibit you hiring the best people. Um, so that's the first thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that you might be inhibit. You know, I say, you know what? She's 60. She's, she's old. She's overqualified. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't hire that person. Uh, because... You know, a 60 year old woman who may have a lot of energy, lots of energy, learned all new things and be, you know, provide some backbone and some experience and some calmness to um, a younger staff who doesn't know what's going on. right? Right. Right. So I think the workforce is going to look a lot different. So one, if you can get, you know, just strip away the idea of the ageism, uh, which is in all of us, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Two is that, um, you know, there definitely are some similarities. You know, gen, you know, isms are terrible, but they're they also, are. but they're also rooted rooted in some truth, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so for instance. Uh, millennial, the younger. So you're an old. You're in the oldest set of millennials, and yes. then the youngest set of millennials actually learned very differently than you did. Right. So you did probably did not have iPads in your classroom. And no. You didn't use video. In no. Your no. But your younger millennial, the youngest set of millennials, used iPads in the classroom, used video at home, and did a homework in the classroom. Right. Totally upside down learning, right? Right. Um, and they were doing things. Everything was online. Like you have to submit your homework online as an eighth grader. Like what? Right. <laughs> and maybe uh, they've never used. they um, maybe, maybe maybe I've had hired uh, millennials who never printed out a piece of paper.
0: Mm, everything crazy. was online. Right.
1: right? And I'm like, where's the piece of paper I need? Right.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: like here's the link. Because that's how they learned. So, right. uh, And they've had more power in their hands since they were five or six. And now True. Gen Z, since they were two or three, then went to the moon. And we got, the, we got that power at the same time as our, our colleagues who are 20 years younger than us did. Right. Right. So uh, when you grow up with that power in your hand and the impression of access to anybody and any piece of information versus when you are old, uh, you're the older millennial, the Gen X or boomer where you were given access when you earned it. Right. A different impression of what, you, uh, what is normal. For so, sure. So one is like what the most important thing for any business owner is to set the values and the behaviors for your entity. Okay. What Do you stand for? What are you about? And how do you live those values? So, um, does it mean that the youngest person picks up the trash, or do we all pick up the trash? Does it mean that um, you know? What does it mean? So you have to figure out those behaviors. And if you're looking for, you know, I think that uh, Patrick Lencioni's book, *The Advantage*, is probably the best template people can use if you don't, if you're not. Ready, if you haven't done this work before, on figuring out what the values are and what are the behaviors that your entity will have. Because when you have a set set of behaviors, it doesn't matter how old you are, you all agree to the behaviors that you're going to have together. Right. Um, because the, the word should is like, the worst thing that has happen, can happen in a group. Well, they should know. They should know when end of business is. Well, right. they've never had end of day. Their end of day is eleven fifty nine fifty nine because that's when papers were due in college, right? You know, and they get into the business world, and the end of day means something different to you and me,
0: right? For sure. And, they,
1: and so, end of day, I could say it's end. You know, just give it to me by the end of day, uh, right. and they give it to me at eleven fifty nine fifty nine. <laughs> right. Literally, <laughs> literally, get the email eleven fifty nine, and like, whose end of day was this? Right. right? Well, mine, I was working, uh, you said end of day, so I got it to you. So, um, you know, so all these things that we used as colloquialisms and meant something for rumors and extras don't mean anything. They don't have the same meaning. So one, what are the behaviors you're all going to, have. So everyone has, regardless of how old you are, you're going to have the same behaviors. You're going to say please and thank you. You're going to stand up when you uh, greet somebody. You're going to open the door for whoever it is. You're going to, uh, whatever, whatever the behaviors. Right. Then also being as specific as possible. Setting expectations with specificity is the most important thing you can do in in an intergenerational office, because what I just said, right? End of day meant something to me. It doesn't mean anything to somebody younger than me. So uh, for instance, don't, uh, what I recommend is to say, Hey, Dominic, I need your draft in word, not in Google docs, in In email, in email by uh, tomorrow, January, what's tomorrow? January 18th at uh, 1230, Pacific time.
0: Right. And that
1: seems like a lot of, wow, that's a lot of detail. Right. Word. I want it Friday, January 18th, and I want it 1230 p.m. Pacific time. Well, you're in Tennessee. You are three hours ahead of me. Right. If you got it to me, maybe you thought I meant uh, 1230 your time. Well, I'm not looking at it at 9.30. I'm going to look at it at 12.30. So the more specificity you can drive, even when you're in the same time zone, the more Mm -hmm. specificity you can drive into your instruction and your expectation, the less conflict you're going to have.
0: For sure. Um,
1: And so setting the behaviors that your company is going to allow and and model, right? Mm -hmm. And then being specific as possible. And then the third piece is setting as much context as possible. You know, do it because I said so only works in jail today. It may right. not work there. Right. Um, and this is not how boomers grew up. Boomers grew up saying, okay, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Do you me, how high do you need me to jump? Right? Right. And, um, and my experience with millennials, and I understand it from how they grew up and how education worked, is that people want to know why they're doing something. That's true. So if you can start a project, not just saying, okay, Dominic, I need you to do that by Thursday at noon or at Thursday end of day, you say, Dominic, we have this project. Here's the project. The project, uh, the project is this, and this is why we're doing it. We're doing this project because um, the client's goal is to have this event and we're going to do this. Our project is to make sure the client, you know, sets the client up for best success they need to be able to green light that thing by Friday morning. So we're going to get it to them by Thursday at two. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, we're going to work together on that. Your job is to do the research. My job is to, um, I'm going to go talk to some potential partners and Gloria is going to go do this and this and this. So I, and then we're all going to meet on uh, Wednesday night and uh, Wednesday night around five before we, you know, knock off for the day and we're going to see where we are to see what pieces are missing. So that by by Thursday morning, we're rocking and rolling. And on Thursday at 2 o'clock, we can send this over. So I have just told you everything you need to know, right? I have told you here's the project. Here's why it's important. Here's what the client's going to do for it with it um, and when they need something. I've told you what the three roles are in the small team of ours. And I've told you when things are due and when we're going to check in and then uh, figure things out, right? Now you can go work. You don't have any questions. What questions could you possibly have, right? right? Um, and this is actually everybody works better when they know all those things. That's but true. millennials, millennials um, will not work without it in a in an efficient manner. Is my experience because <laughs> they've never had to, uh, and their expectation is that they will understand the purpose of something before they go forward. And why is that? Because their parents have told them don't take a crappy job without purpose, and their parents have told them you want work life balance. That is true. Uh, and if you think about um, There's 25 years of reporting. There used to be this thing called a newspaper. Maybe you've seen one. (laughs) But every newspaper had somebody dedicated to work-life balance, dedicated to the office, right? Right. And for 25 years. And you have that happening at the same time as Oprah Winfrey has a show that is telling women that they deserve more. So it is not a surprise that these women's children are looking for work-life balance and purpose the day one they show up in an office. It's just mm-hmm. like a pain in the butt to deal with for those of us who never had that expectation. Gotcha. Is and, that so, a long answer? Sorry. You keep oh, asking no, it, quick answers and I keep it, not giving them okay. to
0: you. <laughs> it's, it's totally okay because I, I think, you know, it, it gives Startup Nation a very detailed look into, you know, why millennials are important to the workplace and how to, you know, get them invested. Because when you talked about, you know, you know the purpose of this that, and the other, like, it really spoke to me because I know, yeah. like, I want to know, like why? Why should this matter? Why? And I know to most is like you know we got to get this done, and that's all that matters. But like for me, it's like I need to know why right. I should be invested in this project. So no, yeah. I, I appreciate you explaining and if, for sure. And
1: if you understand the context, you might you know here's what I have learned. Right when I and right. explain the context, better results come. Why do better results sure. come? Because people are thinking about oh my gosh, this could make it better.
0: Absolutely. What if
1: I? Oh my gosh, this could make. Oh my gosh that can make it better right and people yes. want my experience is everybody wants to contribute everyone wants to do their best sure. and when you can provide that context so people with their own free mind can think, you know try to solve problems that's what people want to do people are inspired by that right. um but it wasn't how work used to happen right? right it's the very flat world where you know i might be the lowest person on the totem pole you are my boss and then we have gloria who's in the middle right but I'm the most important person to you at this moment in time on this project. Because if I don't do my job, Dominic, you can't do yours, right? Right. And understanding that you're counting on me is the most powerful thing that you can have anybody in your team understand.
0: For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. No, let's shift gears just for a little bit. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, you often talk about, you know, we need more women authors, you know, talking about how to lead and run companies. I want to dive into that a little bit. Do you think if, if we were to accomplish this, you know, in the American workspace, uh, do you think we'll, you know, it will lead to fostering gender equality and even stamping out gender bias a little bit? I do. Okay.
1: The same thing I think about, um, uh, black authors and Asian authors and people who, you know, not white men authors. And I actually never thought I would be that person. Okay. I, you know, I mean, I was obviously a woman in business, but you know, I didn't under, I really never thought. I was that person, (laughs) and then the last presidential election happened, and I became that person who had a much better understanding of how privileged I was as a white person, and then also a much stronger understanding of how uh, much opportunity I hadn't have, even though I own my own company and I've had a lot of success as a white entrepreneur. Right, as a woman, not a white, as a woman entrepreneur.
0: For sure, for sure. So,
1: and then when I went. Uh, when I wrote my book, I was, you know, my name, Lee Carreher, I spell it L-E-E. And mm. so it's a, it's the masculine version of right. the name Lee. I'm actually right. named after Robert E. Lee, even though I'm not from the South. Okay. So my parents thought we were going to move to Chattanooga. They were from, they were Yankees. And they thought we were moving to Chattanooga. We better have a Southern name because we're Yankees. Of course, they do that. And then we moved to Boston. But <laughs> my first gotcha. name is Georgina, which I don't use. Um, okay because my mom was Georgina, my grandmother was Georgina, so they just call me Lee. So that's a long story. So, um, but people don't know that I'm, a a lot of people don't know, if you don't go look me up and you've never heard me, you don't may not know that I'm a woman just from the way my name is spelled. And um, I have seen it in my own life where people think I'm a man, I get a lot more opportunity than when people know that I'm a woman. So when I wrote my first book, um, I was invited to a lot of things where I was the only woman in the room because they thought I was a man. And I didn't had never really experienced that um so blatantly <laughs> before. Right. Um and then when I thought about it more after literally you're gonna know so much more about me than you ever wanted to, Dominic. Oh no, no I'm all
0: for it. I'm all for it. I am all for I was
1: before. watching the second debate between our current president and his former uh, opponent. Okay. And he called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman. Right. And that day, I was three days away from having to turn in the transcript for my second book, and I was okay. actually considering not turning it in. I'm like, you know what? I've already done a book. I'm really busy. I got things going on. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And I I saw that moment, and uh, it hit me. It just hit me in the gut, and I which I never thought I was that person mm. and I stood up and I went over to my desk. We had this t- our t- in our TV room is where my desk is at the other corner. And my husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to finish my book right now. Because wow. I realized in that moment was like, I'm not wow. going to run for office. Right. But I have, I have a book deal. I am right. a woman CEO who's writing a book about how to run a business in the future. And there are very few of us. And if I can do anything, right. is I can do. I can contribute a woman's voice to how to run a company. Right. And that was why I finished the second book. Wow. uh, That's what inspired me to finish it. Because, um, you know, I think women and men are different. I think uh, different experiences shape us. Right. And that those different experiences, we are in the most... Our country is only going to become more diverse. It is not going to become less diverse. Right. And the more diverse, we know this, right? Here's what, we know that as a fact. We also know from so much research is that when you have a diverse set of inputs, you make better decisions 89% of the time. So if you're one, don't make a decision by yourself. It's the big one. You always want to make a decision with a group. And if that group looks like you, Uh, you're gonna make a worse decision than if the group doesn't look like you. We know this. This is fact. It's been, I mean, so much research on this topic. So there's so, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, You are, you know, I think the best entrepreneurs are life, they're striving for knowledge, they're looking for thirsting for input. They're like, oh my gosh, what about this? What about that? Right? And they're looking for examples of what to do when they hit the same sort of situation, not to necessarily follow exactly what the, that input tells you, but to, you know, that experience, that gestalt experience of, Oh, Lee was faced with that, and she did this. I'm faced with this, so I'm going to do that because I'm looking what she did. Here's how that translates in my life. And on, as entrepreneurs, that's a responsibility: is to do the best we can with the situations that are that come our way, right? Right. And I think that the best entrepreneurs, the people listening to your podcast, they're thirsting for information. Absolutely. If Absolutely. you went and looked at the book, if you Googled right now the t- 20 books every entrepreneur should read, um, you will probably find. You'll find lots of lists. And um, on a list of 20, maybe two of them are women. And it's probably Doris Kearns, uh, Doris Edmonds Kearns, who's Mm -hmm. um, the historian. And the the book is um, Team of Rivals. Team of Rivals, Okay. right? And it's about mm-hmm. leadership around, among diverse and uh, people who don't agree, right? right? He was an amazing person who brought people who hated him into his cabinet and became best friends. Right. Um, and I reread that last year because it's just as a reminder uh, that we can all get along, right? We, can, If you have the right mindset, you can get along with anybody who disagrees with you. I believe that. I believe it, you know, if, if you have the right mindset. So Team Revivals is on the list. And then maybe there's another book on the list. But everything else is by a man. And not that these men books written by men are bad. They're not. They're great. Right. But women think differently. And right. if you have a different um, point of view, you think differently, right? You have a different upbringing, you think differently. And we, want, we need to hear from different voices. So that is, um, the empirical data is that that is true, right? When we listen to opposing views and when we listen to people who had different points of view than ours that input that input has an impact and even if you don't think it has an impact it has an impact right Uh, because you know we you know as entrepreneurs you want to live in a high input low democracy world where you're getting lots of lots of input and you make a decision it's not a vote you're not voting. A, you might vote on a color for a wall, but you're not going to, or lunch. Where should we have lunch? Vote. You're not going to vote on the direction for the company. You're going to get a lot. You want to get lots of input. And then you as the leader, as the entrepreneur needs to make the decision. And if you're in a high input, low democracy situation, uh, where you're getting lots of different kinds of input, look for people right. who look like you. Look for people who don't live where you live. Mm. Look for people who um, have different experiences than you do. Right. So that you can... You know, you're putting your ideas up against this litmus test because we're not, none of us are right all the time. Right. We're all improved by other people's input. And that's why I think um, more people who aren't, and this sounds so terrible. I'm like, I'm disparaging white men. I'm not. I'm just saying, gotcha. you know what? Everyone can pr- publish their own book today and uh, send me your book. I will review it on my website and I'll talk about it in any podcast you want me to because. Right. You know, Seriously, I read I read at least fifty two books a year. I'm looking for lots of inputs, and some of them are crap, but it doesn't mean that didn't have an impact on me
0: for sure. And and I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, because the thing is, you're absolutely right. I'm all about not just diversity of you know uh, you know religion, race, this, and the other, but I'm also a a proponent and an advocate for diversity of thought. And you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right that women do think differently, and I think that voice needs to be heard. Uh, not just kind of thinking about, you know, you was talking about the election and stuff like that. Uh, I remember during the campaign season when uh, President Obama was stomping for mm-hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton and mm-hmm. he, he said that, you know, she is by far the most qualified person to ever run for that office. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, it, I was like, he's right. Yeah. He's so right. And then it made me think about like all, you know, the women that you know I've encountered in my professional life and this, that and the other, and how many times they've gotten, passed over for Mm -hmm. promotion or a a job or something like that. And so it actually made me look inward to myself, like, do I, you know, you know, help fuel the flames of that bias. And so I really started since that moment to kind of look into myself to make sure I'm trying to, you know, be an advocate of you know women's voices. You know, my me and my wife, we run a company, and and she's the you know the the CEO of that company. So I really try to make it a a point to support her and champion her and be mm-hmm. her cheerleader and stuff like that. So that way, you know, she knows that I'm 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 here and I'm here to support you. So I I appreciate you sharing that, Lee. I really do.
1: I really appreciate you sharing that story too, because I think you know in Silicon Valley, I can tell you one of the big you know the Me Too movement um, has a lot of starts, but here in Silicon Valley really started um, significantly with Ellen Powell, who um, took Kleiner Perkins to court over um, uh, gender uh, bias and sexual harassment. And we all knew she was going to lose. We all knew she was right. Right. (laughs) All the women here, we all knew she was right, but we all knew she was going to lose because she was a very unsympathetic um, witness. And Kleiner Perkins just put millions of dollars against her in the public relations campaign right um and since then you know it's clear that she was right um Mm -hmm. and i've had so many men in silicon valley who i sit on boards with or who are clients who have reached out to me to say you know i think this is me too i mean i me i mean i Mm -hmm. think i've been i think i've been this person right um not by intention, but I just, you know, I went out, you know, my buddies and I went out and we made decisions in the bathroom and uh, yeah, women weren't there and they couldn't participate. And um there's one man, uh, actually he's a black man in business. So that's not mm-hmm. very, you know, it's a very low percentage here in San Francisco, black men in, in leadership positions. Right? right. And he had this conversation with me. He goes, you know, I, I want to talk to you over here. We were at a, a party and I said, well, I want to talk to you over here. So I'm like walk over there and we're in the middle of the room so everyone can see us. I'm like, well, what's the deal? He mm-hmm. goes, I want everyone to see us. I don't want anyone to think that, you know, we're going to a corner or anything. I'm like, why? What's the problem? Well, you know, I figured out that maybe I'm a problem in this Me Too thing, and uh, I don't want it to be a, 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 a question that I'm treating you badly or I'm sexually harassing you. I'm like, I'll just use the name Joe. I'm like, Joe. Oh my God, yeah. no! No one's gonna think that. He goes, Well, apparently people, you know, people I've worked with think that I'm biased. I'm like, Oh yeah, for you, for sure, you're biased, dude. And he's exactly. like, What do you mean? I'm like, This is what you said at the last meeting. This is what you said in the meeting before that. This is what you said in the meeting. He goes, I did. I'm like, Absolutely. Wow. And You know, he goes, he goes, well, then I can't meet with women anymore. I'm like, no, now you need to meet with more women. Absolutely. Now you need to, you know, choose a, you know, choose a restaurant with a a lighted center, you know, go to the middle, don't read in the dark room, but you need to meet with more women now. Be that guy, be the man who goes and meets with more women and works through this. Don't go into a closet, please. Don't retreat. Uh, don't just go to the men's room and talk about it. Because now's the time for you to start meeting with more women. And he, he, you know, I was very impassioned about it, and we'd known mm-hmm. each other for a long time. And he had tears in his eyes. He was so, just so conflicted with he. He, I thought I was a good person. I said, "You are a good person." Right. You know, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It means now you're woken up to the fact that you have not always been even handed right. and not always been inclusive. He goes, Lee, I'm a black man. Of course I've been inclusive. Right. Uh, have you made a decision in the bathroom? Yes, I have. All right. Therefore, you know, and he's like, right, right. I don't like that. I don't like this conversation. I said, Well, I really appreciate you having it with me. And no matter what, air quote joe you're going to (laughs) you're going to make different decisions now absolutely no matter what you're in a better position but it's been very heart-wrenching for very thousands of men here i i I,
0: I, I know it i know it has for me because like i say it really made me it forced me to kind of like you know take a step back like you know have i done this you know have i said something inappropriate have i been you know, inadvertently dismissive and things like that for sure. Really quickly, Lee, you know, I know you you, you wrote another book, The Boomerang Principle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, which is the number one uh, book in Amazon uh, office management space. And I really love that you wrote this book because, you know, I'm one of those older millennia- millennials that was supposed to be loyal to a company, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And so when me and my wife, you know, left to start my company, I used to say, Hey, you know, here's my two weeks notice This that the other, uh, you know, I, I think I'm about to, you know, venture out on my own. And my you know, direct boss was like, you know, you kids know nothing about loyalty. And I, mm. and I always think it's fascinating that like, when it comes to me as the employee going to another job, it's about loyalty. But if you were to like fire me the next day,
1: that's <laughs> exactly. business. Right.
0: right? So and, true. And, so, right and, and so, you know, that's why I love why you wrote this book. So let's Startup Nation know what they can expect when they purchase this book.
1: Sure. So the Boomerang, it's called the Boomerang Principle, and right. it's about lifetime employee loyalty even when people don't work for you. And um, it's about creating businesses that people return to. Got because you. we know that, so you're the older millennial set. Right. And um, you one, the, the hubris to think that any company could hold a person – for their career, when they're gonna be working for 60 years, not 40 or even 20 years, is wow. ridiculous. Okay. Number one.
0: Right. <laughs> right.
1: And number two, that what you described is exactly right, right. We call it loyalty because people, we're disappointed with people's loyalty when they leave on their own terms, not on our terms as employees. Right. And that's crap. Right. So mm-hmm. basically, um, sustainable businesses are gonna be the ones that, uh, that have great people come to them where great people achieve uh, for the company and for their own careers, where great people leave you, uh, go do something else, but are still loyal to you out there in the world and they return to you. They return to you as a partner, they return to you as a referrer, they return to you as another an employee again, a full boomerang, coming back to be employed again. And so the principle is those companies that encourage and allow people to return have a strategic advantage over those who don't. Because the Mm -hmm. things that you do to create a company that people return to are the things that create a sustainable business.
0: Right. And and I appreciate you sharing that with me because when I first thought about the boomerang principle, I honestly just thought about only about like people coming back to, you know, the original place, you know, to work Mm -hmm. there. But when you talk right. about, you know, consumers, referrals, partners, clients in your book and that quote, contractors and all these other things, yeah. like, wow, I just opened up my whole mind to that. So I really appreciate that you shared that. So
1: go every time you have someone leave you, because they're all going to leave, right? You hire right. someone and you know, they're going to quit, right? You know, they're going to leave you when you hire them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a surprise, right? And I actually say this to all my people in the first week, they all meet with me, new, new hires. I'm like, I know right. you're going to quit sometime. And they all look at me like, "I just got here, Lee. Like, you're talking about me quitting," and I'm like, "I know, but here's the deal, right? So I'm just going to put it on the table. I'm going to put it on the table that this company probably can't hold you for your whole life. I hope it holds you for a very long time. I mm-hmm. hope that you achieve everything you want to achieve at this company, and you never want to leave. But I'm realistic. I'm pragmatic. I left, I've left many companies. I started this my own, right? right. Um, but what's important to me as a business owner, is that being a double forte is important to you when you leave here, that you never take it off your resume. Because if you never take it off your resume for a 50, 60 year career, it means it was important to you. And how am I going to know you do that? You're going to refer business to me. We're always going to be connected. Um, You're going to refer people. You're going to say, hey, Dominic. Oh, my gosh, Dominic. I know you're looking for a new job. You need to go talk to Lee. She may have, I don't know if she has a position for you, but you'd be perfect there, right? It didn't cost you anything to do. It just was part of your heart, part of your being, right? Absolutely. And and that's what you need for sustainable business, right? Every time someone leaves you today, they can hurt you or help you. Do everything you can so they can help you. It's really simple right? It's a really Absolutely. simple concept. It's hard to do. Simple concept. And frankly, I think that the most loyal thing a person can do is leave, is leave you when they're not, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. is leave you when they're not inspired by the opportunity, the job, the industry, whatever. Because Absolutely. if you just have someone sitting there doing, you know, uh, 70%, you're, you know, we don't have time for 70%ers in our businesses, particularly as small business owners. Right. Hello. Right. Right. Anyway, so that's the premise.
0: Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, you can get both of those books, Millennials and Management, and the Boomerang Principle, uh, from Amazon. And I have a link in the show notes for easy access for you to purchase those books. So, Lee, you know, you've been you know doing amazing work at Double Forte for 16 years now, and you've worked with some amazing companies. You mentioned Cliff Bar earlier. I uh, mm-hmm. so did some work for the NFL Network, but yep. for me, I'm a video gamer. So when I ah, saw that, you did there some we work- go. When I saw that you did some work for E3, I was, I was like, oh, my God, I have to ask this question. I have to ask this question.
1: We've been working for E3 for 10 years. It's our wow. 11th year with them. Yeah. Wow.
0: So really quickly, you know, I know you you, know, you did some work for them in the summer of 2017. Yeah. Uh, some, generated some buzz and some media attention for the event. What was the game plan and what was the result of that game plan?
1: So the game plan for E3, you know, video games is one of, uh, you know, a lot of people discount it as like, oh, this video game. Billions and billions of dollars are spent on video games just in this country alone. And um, as an industry, it contributes uh, more net profit than many industries because of the Mm -hmm. way it works. And E3 is the um, largest video game conference in the world, Um, but there are obviously uh, other places in the world that video gamers and video game companies go. So our job for E3 is to make sure that the video game industry understands and then the consumers understand that the best place to be to find out what's going on, uh, what's coming up, what's news, all that kind of stuff around the video game business is in Los Angeles at E3. And our game plan is, um, well, it sounds simple, but then it becomes really complicated to implement. (laughs) But uh, that's the goal, right? How do we become the best company? So we work with all the companies who come to see what they're going to be announcing to help them maximize their announcements for, you know, just billions of impressions um, and lots of people. We credential the media that comes to the show. So uh, about 8,000 people from around the world apply to be media people at the show so they can come for free and they talk about it on their blogs, on their newspapers, on their uh, television shows, on their radio shows, on their podcasts, and we credential those people. So our goal is to get the highest quality people um, with the best reach and a diverse audience as possible. Um, And I think we probably said yes to 4,500 people last year Mm -hmm. and said no to probably 2,000 because, you know, it's an expensive show to put on. So people are welcome to pay for their pass, but people who get free passes have to hit a certain, certain threshold. And then it's um, helping to time everything so that we work with uh, different companies to time announcements, time events so that we have a uh, constant flow of information from the day before the show until the day after the show.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Like I said, as a video gamer and many of those in startup nation, I had to ask that question. So thank you for <laughs> indulging me.
1: What's your favorite game? What are you playing right now?
0: Oh, you know what? Right now my wife bought me for the holiday. She bought me the NES classic. Awesome. A little, a little mini. But,
1: yeah.
0: and, and so, uh, I've been playing that a lot, but she did also buy me, uh, the red Dead redemption too. Oh, and, and Assassin's Creed. And Assassin's so, Creed. I worked yeah. on
1: that game. It's a great. game. Oh, really? Oh, my I goodness. Oh, my.
0: <laughs> I love it. It was one of my favorite games. I love Assassin's Creed. Love yeah,
1: Assassin's it's for a sure. great game.
0: For sure. Uh, really quickly, uh, tell us a little bit about the Millennial Minded pro- uh, Podcast and what listeners can get from that show.
1: Sure. So, Millennial Mind is a podcast we produce here at Double Forte. Mm -hmm. um, uh, It's a career advice uh, podcast for millennials, for younger people. And basically, it's uh, one question per podcast. It's about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And someone on my team interviews me with the question we get from either our staff, our partners, or people who write into the show. So, um, for instance, um, uh, Duncan will ask me a question around like, you know, so, you know, someone wrote in, and they want to know what not to do if they would go to get, if they go ask to get a um, a raise, what should they not do? What should they should do? And so then I just answered the questions off the cuff on here's what I would do. And, and, and then David who David and, and Duncan are the co-hosts. They make fun of me for the other five minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Thank you for sharing it. And startup nation, you can check out that podcast uh, on any of your major platforms that you get podcasts from. And we also have a link in the show notes for easy access. So, Lee, I saw that your sister has a piece that's going to be featured in the Sundance Film Festival. How excited <gasps> oh, are you? excited!
1: About that, oh okay. my gosh! So my, oh my gosh, could not be more proud of my sister. So my sister is Abby MacInteny. She's in Chicago. right. She is a stand-up and um, improv artist in Chicago, really well known in the Chicago uh, scene. And mm-hmm. she and her co-writer have uh, produced a pilot called Work in Progress, which is uh, semi-autobiographical about her. Okay accepted into the indie arcade at Sundance oh my mm-hmm. gosh so excited for her
0: awesome awesome do you, do you help her with her content at all no she no. won't let
1: me <laughs> but I am in the pilot apparently okay. so I have t- there we I have three two sisters okay and she has conflated my sister Lizzie and I into the sister in the show mm-hmm. so when I watch the pilot I'm like is that me is that me? <laughs> I was not there. That was not me. <laughs> that was you, Lee. I'm like, I'm sure it wasn't me. So, you
0: got anyway. you.
1: so I don't have her with her content. I do, um, I do talk to the people who, who work with her um, mm-hmm. to help them sort of strategize about it. But I think it would be a bad thing for me to do her content. You know? <laughs> I would you not, you. you know, if she would be like, I'd be like pushing her for stuff and she'd be like, I don't have time. I'm like, if you don't have time, I don't have time. You know, it wouldn't be good. Not good thing.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for I'm sharing I'm just a that.
1: cheerleader from the sideline.
0: Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Lee, I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours and why?
1: I think my superpower is one, I can see an answer. Okay. I can see an answer to a problem. It just comes to me and I don't know how it comes to me, but then I, by the time I've talked it through with people, it's a rational decision. So gotcha. I am blessed by being very quick. Uh, I'm never the smartest person in the room, but I'm often the quickest person in the room. And that has helped me uh, with a lot of things. I think my other superpower, I have two, is I just believe everybody has a gift. And my Mm. goal and I think my superpower is identifying people's gifts so that they can contribute where their strengths are and uh, not focus on their weaknesses.
0: Awesome. Once again, Lee, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. You've been an amazing guest and gave amazing content to all of us here uh, on the Startup Life Podcast, powered by the Bench Podcast Network. But at this point, I would like to ask you one last thing. And this is where we actually uh, have you talk to Startup Nation. There's some people in Startup Nation to where they haven't started their business and they're a little scared to jump off that cliff. Mm -hmm. or They're in their business and they feel stuck and they're getting ready to quit and getting ready to just like leave it all alone. Give us some words of wisdom, some words of advice to tell them Mm -hmm. to keep going.
1: So the people who are ready to quit, you know, success comes right after you think you're going to you're tossing the towel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, keep going. Get some help. Ask other people um, who are in the same situation. Situation you are in or who have been in the situation you're you in today, ask for some help. You do not have to do this alone. are you know, entrepreneurs help each other. So uh, keep going. Try one more time before you throw in the towel. And if you haven't started your business, I would say, um, you know, a lot of us uh, start our business because we needed to, like I did. Um, Some of us are working and they're doing a side hustle where they want to, you know, jump over the leap. I would say to you, you know, just make sure you have a safety net. Um, If you can keep the job uh, so you can build up a little nest egg, do that while you're doing your side hustle, um, getting it all done, and then. Jump when you're ready.
0: Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Lee. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Did you enjoy being on the show, Lee?
1: Oh my gosh, Dominic, I want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay.
0: That, 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 that. I don't have to ask the second question. I would, I would love for you to come back. <laughs> awesome. Okay,
1: story. I realize this is what, I welcome myself back onto your show.
0: So you know, hey, that's, back, that's all. It's all good. You're all. Welcome back back you. sure. You're welcome back for sure. <laughs> you're welcome back for sure. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. Lee Caraher is now one of my favorite entrepreneurs. Let me tell you why for two reasons the first one is is that she is the ultimate culture builder right when she talks about how she wants people who work at double forte for it to be a memorable experience in the sense of like there's a sense of value and there's a sense of trust and like even if they decide to move on elsewhere she still wants them to have that relationship to where they refer her business they refer her even new employees or whatever that is something that is so lost in this you know in business and i really appreciate lee's approach to doing that and secondly i love how Lee's approach to business is just very straightforward and honest and transparent and I also like how she she keeps it loose she doesn't take herself too serious but at the same time my friend she is to be revered in business oh my goodness and that's why Lee care hair she may not know this but now she's one of my new mentors yep that just happened if you want to let us know what you think about the show have an idea for a show topic or like to advertise on our show please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Bench Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. Hey, what you doing? You're still here, huh? Well, look—if you're gonna hang around, you might as well check out next week's episode. Here's the deal: you
1: know, I'm—I'm I'm not afraid of having a, a company flop. I've had—I've had a bunch did nothing. Most okay. of are so afraid of making a mistake because we're—it's baked into our training as kids. You make a mistake, you get 50% wrong. It means you're a failure. Ah, you're kicked out, and then you go into the real world. And I look at. My third, actually, it's it's like forty five companies now, and wow, I, and people go, that's a lot. I'm like, yeah, more than half of those failed. So basically, I'm a big fat failure, and yet I'm a multi millionaire, and I've I, I hire people, I have I have teams, I'm impacting people, I'm giving people freedom because I'm willing to go out there and stub my toe, trip and bleed, and have things not
0: work. That, my friends, is Damian Lupo, serial entrepreneur and creator of a martial art. Yeah, you heard that right, creator of a martial art. Go ahead and subscribe to The Startup Life now on any of your favorite podcast platforms. So that way, when that episode with Damien is available, you'll have it. So now, get out of here, Startup Nation. You got a company to grow, remember?